Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 32, verse 22 to 31. Genesis chapter 32, 22 to 31. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. That night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his eleven sons, and crossed the fork of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The man rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm excited to share uh, the message on this particular passage today. Uh, When I saw that this passage fell on my turn to preach today, uh, I was really glad and relieved because you never know with the Old Testament. Sometimes you get these like really difficult passages and I thought, oh, phew. I had Jacob's Ladder, which was really fun for me. And I thought wrestling with God, this whole story, it's, it's a story I know. And I thought, surely it'll be an easy message to preach on, or so I thought. (laughs) So I got really excited, and I got a head start, uh, because I don't preach every week. And I think last Thursday or Friday, I printed out the passage in two different versions, um, because, you know, I still like the, you know, the old school paper. And I, I got my pink highlighter, read it, highlighted it meditated on it, and then I read it again, highlighted some more, meditated a little bit more, and soon my, the pages were like 80% highlighter, and I just thought it makes no sense to keep looking at the highlights anymore. So then I moved to my dad's um, library, and he has a lot of books, and so I thought, I'm going to get all the books on Genesis. It's a fun passage, right? And I just, I read a lot, and I camped out at Starbucks, my own corner, um, and I was there almost every day, and I got really excited, and I read a lot, but it was really tough, to be honest. The more I read, the more I highlighted, and the more I started to write, um, I, got, I felt stuck. And um, you know, when you get writer's block, it's frustrating, um, but when it happens to you while you're preparing for a sermon and you feel like the Lord is silent, 
it's terrifying. And it becomes Thursday, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, Lord, speak now, right? I'll, I'll move to church instead of Starbucks. Speak to me. And I was freaking out. Um, and the more I felt terrified, the more I freaked out. And I just started reading everything. Um, and on top of that, this week was a little bit difficult. You know, on the outside, everything was good, normal. But inside, I was just going through a lot. And, you know, it's one of those weeks where you feel like, Everything is falling apart. A little bit at first and then a little bit more. Even the things that you count on to be stable starts shaking. And that was my week. And I thought, oh, sometimes we feel this way because we're physically tired, right? Sometimes we feel this way because emotionally we're a little bit, I don't know, stretched, unstable. Sometimes we feel this way because there's some unresolved stuff going on and it's just catching up to you. And I realized this week, sometimes it's just God. It's just God prodding our spirits. Sometimes it's just God gently guiding us into a place of crisis, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, because he loves us. Because he knows what's good for us, because he wants to bless us because he wants to reveal his glory in our lives. Um, So that was my week. It was tougher than I thought it would be. I had four drafts of this sermon, and I was freaking out until Friday night. And I had a moment sitting in Starbucks, my own little corner, and I thought, you know what? Just, just do it. (laughs) Doesn't matter. I'm just going to preach whatever I have, whatever. And I had a moment with God. And God just, he intervened, thankfully, he intervened. He touched the hip socket of my heart. And if I finally understood something that I've been missing this whole week was this. Jacob's wrestle, this whole story I was trying to like analyze and get some deep truths out of. The story really was for me. Um, I just missed it. Like God, you know, grabbed a hold of me early on, and he was trying to wrestle different things in my life. He was trying to speak to me, get me to see the things in my heart that shouldn't be there, things that, you know, are not pleasing to him. And I just, I was so busy preparing the sermon, I didn't listen to what he was trying to say. Um, And I finally got it. And this is what the Lord um, said to me. You know, it's a good goal to want to preach a good sermon. A preacher should want to preach a good sermon, right? To bless God and to bless the people. But what he was trying to say to me is, why are you trying so hard? And I thought, well, <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. <laughs> and that's what was on my heart. And I realized, oh, it's a lot of the fuel, what was fueling me, all my efforts, the research, the highlighting, uh, it really was just insecurity. Like wanting for you to think I was super smart. I wanted you to be blown away by the truths that I give you today. And I realized that's not pleasing to God. It doesn't need to be in my heart when I'm preparing a message. And those, that's the very thing God was trying to wrestle um, in my life this week. Getting me to see, uh, come face to face with that. And I thought, okay. All right, you know. Because I was like, dang it, Pastor Eugene's so smart. Like, he sets the standard here, so I just get so stressed. And God was saying, uh, there's no room for that if you're going to do my work. 
And so, yeah, he totally owned me, <laughs> like crippled me in Starbucks. Um, so Friday night, 11.30 p.m., an hour before they closed, I opened a new file, and I titled it Sermon. <laughs> I was like, this is the fourth draft. And I have to say, after that, it was very easy, really liberating. Um, and I really believe God has a message for us today. Um, yeah, so I just laid out my heart there, so if you can just, you know, smile a little, look a little alive, it would be good. Um, yeah, I realized the goal was good. I wanted to preach a good sermon, and the goal was good, but the way I was doing it and my method and my attitude throughout it was really bad. It was really bad, and so I realized one thing. I can be doing the right thing, but if I do it in the wrong way, it actually leaves me very tired, completely drained, without joy, without life in it. Um, and that's exactly where I think we find Jacob in this point in his life, chapter 32. At this point in his life, you know, Jacob has been through a lot. And if you actually look at what, he's, what he has, he's, a, he's um, accomplished a lot, you know. Um, given that he got a lot that he has by using, you know, not so good methods, but he got it. You know, he used his, um, his mind, his schemes to steal the birthright from his brother. He used his um, trickery to get his father to give him uh, the blessing. Esau was so angry, he swore to kill him, so Jacob left. But totally undeserving, God meets Jacob in the middle of his fleeing, and he shows up, speaks to him, blesses him, gives him a promise, shows him a vision. Um, so that's like a pretty awesome thing to add to what you have, that kind of experience with God. And then he goes to Laban. A lot happens there, as we heard. Uh, but when he comes out of, you know, that place with Laban, he has wives and he has children. He has animals. So you look at Jacob's life when he left home first in chapter 28, I think, and he's going toward, um, toward his uncle Laban. He left with just a stick in his hand. That's all he had. 20 years later, he's leaving Laban and going back home, and he has more than just a stick in his hand. He's, he has a lot. He's rich. His life is very full. But there's one thing that Esau doesn't have, what Esau couldn't do for himself, no matter how smart he was. There's one thing that's still kind of lingering, and that's the very thing God is going to put in his face. And that's this thing with Esau. He never resolved, um, you know, that strained relationship with Esau. As far as he knows, Esau is still really angry, and Esau still wants to kill him. And so for 20 years, he was able to avoid it. He, you know, he, he left. He lived his own life. And 20 years later, now he's uh, heading back home. He knows that the reunion with Esau is inevitable. And as far as he knows, he's going to die as a result of this reunion. And it makes you wonder, because, you know, obviously when you read the passage, Jacob is freaking out. He's really nervous. He's scared. And he should be. It's not just his life anymore. He has to, you know, protect his wives and his children. Esau's coming at him with 400 people. I mean, that sounds like someone who wants to kill not only Jacob, but everyone and everything with Jacob. And he should be afraid. And if you think about it, you're like, why? Like, Jacob, why are you here right now? 
why don't you just do what you always do in life is just flee? Like, find a way out of this situation. Why are you heading into the situation when you know it's super uncomfortable, very scary, in fact? Why are you here? Why are you pressing on toward the very thing that is giving you so much fear? And it's because Jacob, after all these years, he's finally growing up. He's finally learning how to do the right thing. Because in chapter 31, God shows up to Jacob. And God says to Jacob, now I want you to leave this place, and I want you to go back to your father's land, go back to your relatives, and I will be with you. And so this is actually really, really important to notice because Jacob is a guy who's lived his whole life doing whatever he wanted, you know, getting whatever he wanted for his own gain, using whatever method, and then running away from the consequences of it. And at this point in his life, this is a different Jacob. God says go, and Jacob says okay, even if it means I lose my life. And so this is good. This is good that Jacob is finally learning to be a man, and he's obeying God. But here's the thing. Jacob is doing the right thing by going back home, but he's doing it in all the wrong ways. He's not fully trusting in the Lord, even though it was the Lord who told him to go. And it was the Lord who promised that he would be with him when he went back home. And so I'm just going to run through that a little bit. In the beginning of the chapter, Jacob sends messengers ahead. And he instructs his servants, his messengers, to kind of butter up Esau. You know, he used the language, you know, my, my Lord to Esau. And he refers to himself as your servant. And he makes sure that his servants remembered to mention all the wealth that Jacob had acquired. Hoping maybe Esau will be impressed and not want to kill him anymore. And so after he does that, Jacob is thinking about this and waiting for the messengers to leave and come back. And he's afraid. He's thinking, I can't just wait here and do nothing. I'm about to die. And so he divides his animals. Um, After he learned that his brother is coming with 400 men, uh, he divides his animals um, and his people into two groups. And he's already, his brain is starting to think like it normally does. He's thinking, all right, it's going to happen anyways. How How can I save myself? So he breaks them up into two groups. And he thinks, if my brother attacks this group, at least I have this left with me. At least I can save this for myself. And you see him starting to go back to the old Jacob. And then he prays. And I was stuck here for a little bit. I was like, what? Like, you do all the scheming, and then you pray, and then you go back to the scheming. And I was like, it makes no sense. And I thought, that probably means his prayer is fake. And I read that prayer, and I realized, no. It's not just the theologically correct lip service that he's giving to God. He's actually genuine. The prayer is actually really good. But he's just doing something that we all do anyways in our own lives, right? You know, we experience God's goodness in our life. We experience God's power. And we think, surely God is a God I can trust. He is with me and he's for me. But whenever crisis hits, what do we, most of us, what do we do? We only turn to God in prayer after we have attempted to remedy the situation a little bit. 
Isn't that what we normally do? I mean, that's our nature. Something happens, we turn to other people, we try to work something out, and then we go to the Lord in prayer. We say, Lord, you're the only one who can save me. And then we turn around and we try doing it our way again. And that's exactly what Jacob does. It doesn't mean his prayer is fake. It means he's wrestling, right, between faith and fear, trusting in the Lord and doing it his own way. He's just being human. And that's what I see here. He prays and he asks the Lord, save me. Save me, God. But as genuine as his prayer was, so was his fear. So after having prayed that beautiful, genuine prayer, he's still not at peace. He's restless. So that night, right after praying that awesome prayer, he takes his animals and then he prepares them, sends them off as gifts, really awesome, lavish gifts, hoping that, you know, it would appease Esau. And after having done that, he's still not at peace, obviously, because nothing has changed. And so then what he does, he sends his wives and his children ahead. And he is about to follow behind them and cross that river. And he is alone. He's all alone. And it's a really helpless place to be in because you've done everything you can. He's done everything. And at this point, he's alone in the middle of the night. His family's ahead. All his animal servants are ahead. And at this point, it's moments before he's going to see Esau and possibly die. And there's nothing left for him to do. He can't do anything. He can't help himself anymore. And that's the moment where God meets Jacob. And this time, he doesn't come to Jacob in a dream. He comes to Jacob in the form of a man, a wrestler. And as Jacob is about to cross that river, the man holds grabs onto Jacob, and he wrestles with Jacob. Uh, and it says they wrestled all night long. Uh, I'm not a wrestler, obviously. Um, but I did, growing up, do some thumb wrestling with my sisters. Um, <laughs> we would do thumb wrestling, and if you do that long enough, your thumbs get tired. And I'm imagining if you're wrestling, like, man to man, um, your whole body is engaged in this wrestling. It's not just your thumbs at that point, right? And if you, if you think about it, it's kind of, I thought about it. I was like, you know when they wrestle, like they wear like close to nothing, but you're face to face, you're like chest to chest, your arms are linked, your legs are linked. It's just, I don't know why anyone would do that. But, you know, wrestling is a really intimate thing, right? Arm wrestling, you can kind of do this, but when you're wrestling body to body, I mean, you're just like, you're like right there. And that's what Jacob does all night long. And I'm pretty sure he has no clue who this man is. He just came out of nowhere, grabbed onto Jacob, and won't let him go. He won't let him cross the river. And so Jacob has no choice. He's not the one pursuing this man. This man is holding on to him. And he just wants to follow after his family. And he's just wrestling. But Jacob also won't give in. I don't know, maybe he'd rather die at the hands of his brother, but he just won't give in until verse 25. I think is when maybe Jacob begins to understand there's something different going on here because in verse 25 it says, the man saw that he couldn't prevail or win against Jacob, so he touched Jacob's hip. 
He didn't sock him in the hip. He didn't like punch him. He didn't kick him. It says he just merely touched Jacob's hip and Jacob's hip became dislocated forever. And he was crippled forever. At that point, Jacob has to realize this is not a mere man. He's not even a strong man. This is not a man. And I'm sure at that point you realize, my gosh, this is God in the form of a man. This is God. And so then Jacob, it kind of changes. Jacob no longer wants to escape from him. He's holding on to him. And he's saying, bless me. I'm not going to let you go. you got to bless me. But here's the thing. I was thinking about this, and I was like, well, then why, why didn't God just, like, cripple him in the first few seconds? Clearly, this man is, or God, is so powerful. If he could dislocate your joint with just a touch, imagine what God can do if he actually punched you. And so you th- you're thinking, why did they wrestle all night long? It's not because God needed all that time to figure out Jacob's, I don't know, tactics, wrestling tactics to win him. It's not that. God doesn't need that. Really, he could have just destroyed him in a, in a few seconds. The reason why God takes all night to wrestle with Jacob is because it's for Jacob. And I want to tell you today, it's for us. It was for me this week. And I'm telling you, it's for you. One, it reveals how strong the will of our flesh is. It reveals to us just how strong the will of our own flesh is. We're so stubborn. We're stubborn and we, we resist the Lord's ways many times. We're stubborn in our rebellion. We're stubborn in keeping to the habits of our flesh. And if you don't know it, God will reveal it to you. It's a battle. You're here because you love the Lord, you believe in him, and you want to live for him. But don't we struggle in our flesh? With, you know, one second we say, Lord, everything I have is yours. And the next second, you can't give that thing up. That's the struggle of your flesh. That's how strong your flesh is. We listen to the truth every week, and yet our flesh cannot let go of the habits that are in us. And so God needs to make us aware of how strong that flesh, how strong that will is, so that we know just how much we need the Lord, so that it brings us to our knees before the Lord daily. That is why God takes all night to wrestle with Jacob. Two. He reveals the foolishness of us doing things our own way. He reveals the foolishness of us depending on our own strength. I mean, we can do our best. Jacob, honestly, I don't think he was just like doing it with half his energy. I think he was doing it with all that he had. And then all of a sudden, after a whole night, God just touches him and he's undone. That's got to make you a little bit foolish. What is that? All my efforts, all, you know, the best thing that I can bring to the table, my strength, everything. It's nothing compared to the strength of our God. And with one touch, we are undone. But this powerful God is not out to destroy us. This powerful God is on our side, he promises. And he promises he is with us and that he is for us and that he's willing to work on our behalf. So it's actually quite wiser. To just surrender. 
and say, yeah, I'll just do it your way, God. It's foolish to keep going on in our own strength. Three, it reveals God's grace. When God comes to us and he wrestles with us, it's God's grace. Because clearly, God can just, I mean, not, he doesn't want to destroy us, but he can control us. He has the power to do whatever he wants. But he doesn't do that. He gets very close to us. Again, I mean, I don't know how you feel about wrestling, but I imagine it's a very intimate thing that God is getting really close to you when he's wrestling with you. He's not telling you to do things and barking orders from afar, telling you what you're bad at and how sinful you are. He gets very near to you. He's face-to-face with you. He's linked with you. And in that wrestling, he reveals his heart to you. And you are made aware of not only God's heart, but your own heart. And you begin to respond to that. That All that takes place in the wrestling with God. And he brings us to a place eventually of complete surrender. But it's after giving us a chance to do that back and forth. Right? If it's a one-way thing, he just slaps you and you're done. But if it's a back and forth, a conversation, a relationship, there's a, there's a struggle there. There's a give and a take. And that's what the Lord does for our sake. And so what happens to Jacob here during the wrestle, after the wrestling? It's, he's totally changed. It's actually a very defining moment in his life. And that's what God wants to do in each of our lives. He wants to take us. He wants to touch us, transform us so that we are completely surrendered before him. And if you look at it, Jacob's name is changed at the end. Jacob's name was obviously Jacob, and it means outsmart, one who outsmarts, um, one who strives. And God says, you will no longer be called Jacob. You will now be called Israel. And that word, that name Israel means... God rules. God reigns. God rules. God strives. So when the wrestling is all over, Jacob receives that blessing. And he's limping because he's forever crippled. And he's limping. And it says that the sun is, the morning is dawning. It's It's a picture of a new start for Jacob. He's a new person now. Yes, he's walking away with a limb, but his life has changed. No longer to strive on his own, but now free to allow God and his reign to rule in his life. And this is a really important message for us today as a church because we are also looking forward to a new, exciting, fresh start. I mean, we've been planning for it for I think years, and then especially this past year, it's been really on our minds and our hearts, and we've been working towards it, and it's finally here. If you don't know, now you know. It's in like a few weeks. We're going to be our own church. I don't know, because some people don't know. And we've been, you know, we've responded to God's call over us. He's, you know, asked us to take a step out of faith and to be our own church. And we said, yes, Lord, we believe this is from you. So we've been taking these certain steps, and it's finally right right here and God has a message for you for us and the message is this I am with you 
pilgrim Ian. There's a lot to be done, even now. There's a lot going on. Some of you are anxious. Some of you are excited. Some of you are a little nervous. Are we ready? And God is saying, this is my message for you today. I am with you. I'm the one who called you to this. And I will be the one to accomplish it. And I will be with you. I am with you. So trust in me. Follow my lead. Don't be afraid. Don't be nervous. But be filled with hope. For I will be your guide. I will be your coach, your teacher. I will be your wisdom. And my ways are perfect. So do not fear but be filled with hope. I am with you. And this is important for us. Because no matter how much our hearts say, God, yes, I want to do this for you, because we're human, a lot of the times we set out to do this for God, to serve him, to obey him, to follow after him. But especially when things get shaky, when we get nervous, when things don't go as it should and we get scared, then we very quickly turn to our own methods, our own strategies, our own human wisdom. We try to make things happen on our own. And in the end, if you do that, if we do that as a church, we will be tired will be drained. There is no power in that. There's no hope in that. There's no joy in that. There's no peace in that. And in the end, that does not glorify God. And so if we want to be a church that glorifies the name of Jesus in this place, then brothers and sisters, we must pray because our flesh The will of our flesh is strong, so we need to come before the Lord and have him break us so that we could be fully surrendered to him always. And so this 40-day prayer, don't think this is just an event or an activity. This is not an option. If you want to be a church that pleases the Lord, then you must pray. Take the packet home. If you lose it, ask for a digital copy. Come Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Come here Saturday, 8 a.m. Come on Sunday and pray and persevere in praying because we cannot be a church that pleases the Lord if we don't get this right from the beginning. But there's so much in store for us. Being weary, being stressed out, being, you know, anxious, that's not God's plan for us. He wants to grow us. He wants to lift us up. He wants to cause a lot of fruit to come out of this ministry because he wants to glorify his name through us. So be filled with hope. But take that time to pray. And let's do it together. The Lord is with us. And he is for us. But when it does become hard and difficult, and when you start getting a little nervous, are we really our own church? Are you really doing this? Don't fear. Look to Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the head of this church. And he has set for us an example by living a life of perfect surrender to his Abba Father. Completely. Jesus always knew what his purpose was here on earth. 
It was to lay down his life for the ransom of our sins. And it was to pay the penalty so that the Lord's, God's wrath would be appeased. He knew that. But the night that he was betrayed, he prayed in Gethsemane. And what he prayed was this, Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me. That gives me, that gives me comfort, actually. Because it means it wasn't easy for Jesus. But Jesus didn't end there. He wrestled. He wrestled and he agonized and he struggled in prayer. And by the end of that prayer, Jesus rose up and he said, But Father, not my will, but yours be done. And Jesus was strengthened in his spirit to accomplish what the Lord had set for him to do. And he glorified his Father. I pray that we would be a church that comes before the Lord, especially when it's difficult that we would learn to submit our will before him, that we would wrestle and struggle, agonize in this thing called surrender. And I pray that we would be strengthened, strengthened to be a church that accomplishes what the Lord has set for us to do, and that we would glorify the name of Jesus. May God be glorified in and through our lives and in and through this church. Let's take some time and pray. Take some time and examine your heart. What are the things that you need to surrender to the Lord today? What are the habits of the flesh that you need to um, give up to the Lord? What are the things that need to be dismantled by God so that you could be fully surrendered to him, so that you could glorify him in your life? Just take some time and pray, not only for your own heart, but pray for our church, that as the spirit leads and the spirit shines on us, he would reveal the things that we need to surrender so that we could be strengthened and to be obedient, to be hopeful, to be joyful, to be ones who glorify Jesus. So let's pray together.